Welcome to Parkview. Uh, I want to welcome you to a new series that God I wish you knew. And uh, I, I want to say something before we jump into it. A couple of things. Um, this is, uh, we've talked about how I wrote a book called Life on Mission. And we've talked about how we're all as Christians supposed to be on mission. And this is one simple way that you can be a witness is to invite people to this series. All right. I, I mean, this is a series about God. Everybody needs to understand more about God. It's the most important thing that we do. Uh, so invite some people. Number two, Commit to being here. All six weeks of this as we lead up to Easter, different attributes of God you need to know. Nothing else to do in Chicago in the winter anyway. So come every week and see what it's like. Number three, fill out that form and in your bulletin and go get a DVD and have a group with whoever you want to. Host a group uh, for your family, host a group with some of your friends and go through this together. Pastor Casey, Pastor Brian and myself, we all did this together and, uh, and the teachings on the DVD, really, really simple for you to do. Pop it in and have some discussion. Here's an experience I had this week. Um, sitting on the plane next to a guy on my way back to Chicago that's just never fun, is it? I mean, I don't know. I don't know why I keep coming back. I must love you. And, and, and I'm coming back to Chicago, you know, the stewardess is griping, everybody's griping. And I'm talking to this guy and I can't have a conversation with somebody without them figuring out what I do. Uh, at some point it comes up in the conversation. And so we had this religion discussion. This guy was, was telling me, maybe he's watching. He was telling me he didn't believe in organized religion. And, uh, you know, so we're having this discussion, but it was interesting as, as he was talking to me uh, that he was not interested in organized religion, but he was a member of a fraternal organization. He's a member of the Masonic Lodge. And I was thinking to myself, I, I understand that, that we don't think we need organized things necessarily, but then again, we do. We need some people to be in our life. We need some people around us. And that's what our small groups are all about. That's what doing a group, even with your friends, is all about. The only people that are okay being all by themselves are unibombers and mass murderers, right? I mean, you hear him interview, yeah, my neighbor was the Unabomber. Yeah, well, he kind of kept to himself. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. God said it's not good for man to be alone, so don't. Get a, get a group going, and let's do this together. All right? Moses, Jesus, older man are playing golf. They, uh, uh, they'd all gotten a new set of irons. They decided they all wanted to try these new irons. They'd all got a new set of irons. If you don't know golf, it may not make sense to you, but sometimes a set of irons will come with a two iron, and um, nobody can hit a two iron. I mean, you know, professional golfer maybe, but it's just a really hard, I don't know why they sometimes put them in there, but they all got them and they got to this par, this par three and it was a 200 yard, uh, you know, shot over to the green and um, they all said, yeah, let's try the two iron. Let's see if we can do the two iron. So Moses gets up with his two iron, he, he tries to hit it and he, he, he mishits it. It doesn't go as far as it should, it goes right into the water. It's a water hole. Moses walks out, parts the water. Gets his, it's Moses. He pitches up on the green and still makes par. Jesus says, okay, I got this. He gets out. He hits his two iron. He doesn't hit it very well either. It goes in the water. Jesus walks out on the water, calls the ball up, chips it up on the green, still makes par. The older guy hits his two iron. He doesn't hit it very well either. It's about to go in the water when a fish jumps up out of the pond and grabs the ball in its mouth and is just about ready to go back down into the water when an eagle swoops down from the sky and grabs it in its talons and starts to fly off. Just over the green, the eagle loses its grip. The fish falls to the green. The ball pops out of its mouth, goes right in the hole for a hole in one. And Jesus said, nice shot, Dad. And it's the God I wish you knew, okay? 
We're doing this because I, and the moral of that story is even God can't hit a two iron, okay, just in case you're a golfer, all right? Um, Jesus said this, he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, okay? That is the most important thing. So that means, to me, one of the most important things we could do is to learn about God. And this is important to me because I realize that a lot of times when I meet people that have, uh, you know, that are atheists or agnostics or they're confused Christians, a lot of times it's because of their, their incorrect theology about who God is. Islam is based on a faulty view of God. Buddhism, Hinduism, New Age movement, even Judaism is based on a, an incorrect and incomplete view of God because Jesus said, I have come to show you the Father. So if you don't have a correct view of God, your theology is going to be messed up. When you're young, you have this Santa Claus kind of view of God. You know, you know he's there, you know somebody's taking care of you, but you never have seen him, and you're a little confused by it. And at some point, when he doesn't bring you the pony that you wanted, you start to have doubts. And it's at that moment, as we become adults, that we can go one of two ways. We can either believe that God really is good and he really wants the best for us, or we can see God as this personification of rules and regulations, this, this God who is making a list and checking it twice and going to find out who's naughty and nice. And all of a sudden, when you go that way, you have a dreadful idea of God. And I would say that most of the world has that dreadful idea of God. So we start with today what I believe is the most important issue when it comes to understanding who God is. And I say that because Jesus told us when we pray, we should pray to our Father, our Father in heaven. And the problem is, you know, the Father is not always an easy thing to deal with. Muhammad did not know his father. He passed away before he ever got the chance to know him. So as he's writing the Quran, he he has that. In his brain. And I need to be clear, all right? I'm not going to blame ISIS and terrorism on the Quran because then we'd have to blame the Crusades on the Bible. There's an incorrect way to interpret a whole lot of different things, okay? But your interpretation of what God wants will affect everything else that goes on. And if your father, uh, you know, was, was somebody that you didn't have a relationship with, you're going to have a view of God. If your father was mad and angry at you all the time, then you're going to have a really weird view of God. You know, it, 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 that was Hitler. I mean, his, his, his dad was mean to him, and so, you know, he writes Mein Kampf. If your dad is not around, you write the Quran. If your father is a great rhymer, I guess you write green eggs and ham. I don't know. It affects everything. If your dad is awesome, you write Life on Mission. <laughs> there he is, ladies and gentlemen. My dad is awesome. And by the way, dad, those glasses are coming back, so that's really cool. You're, you're a hipster now. He just needs a goatee, don't you think? Um, I obviously don't remember those days, but I have and had a fantastic dad. The problem is many people don't. I'm pre-reading, I'm reading a pre-release of uh, Lee Strobel's new book, The Case for Grace. He's going to come and preach here the week after Easter. He was an investigative reporter with the Chicago Tribune whose wife became a Christian and he was an atheist, and he said, I'm not letting this happen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig into it, and I'm going to prove it wrong. And by doing that, he actually proved it right and became a believer and is uh, now a pastor and wrote The Case for Christ. His new book, The Case for Grace, is all about understanding grace, and that's going to be our series after Easter. He's going to come and kick it off. 
But Lee was an atheist, as I mentioned. He said, you know, that what I realize now looking back is the reason that I had an incorrect, uh, the reason I was an atheist is because I had an incorrect view of God. And part of the reason I had an incorrect view of God was because I had a bad relationship with my father. His, his father acted like he didn't want Lee. And, um, and, and if that's how you grow up, then your view of God is going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be messed up. Even Freud, who was himself messed up, said that, you know, when you do psychoanalysis, it daily demonstrates to us how youthful persons lose their religious belief as soon as the authority of the father breaks down. As soon as you realize that your dad is not perfect or your dad doesn't like you or he's distant or whatever, then the authority of God breaks down. Now, for those of you who are in my category and are fathers or mothers, you get this concept a little bit better. I wanted the best for my daughters. I didn't realize how much, how protective I was going to be of my daughters until I had them. And being daughters, those of you who have daughters know you're even more protective. Two of them are married now. One of them is uh, dating seriously and she's in LA so I can't screen her dates anymore. So I'm going to go ahead and give this away to you. These were the rules that I would hand out to the boys when they would come (laughs) and uh, take my daughter out on a date. Are you ready? Rule number one, if you pull in my driveway and honk, you better be delivering a package because you're not picking up my daughter. (laughs) Two, do not touch my daughter in front of me. You may glance at her as long as you do not peer below the neck. (laughs) If you cannot keep your eyes and hands off my daughter's body, I will remove them. (laughs) Rule three, as you stand in the hallway waiting for my daughter to appear, and more than an hour goes by, do not sigh or fret or fidget. If you want to be on time for a movie, you should not be dating. (laughs) My daughter's putting on her makeup, a process which can take longer than painting the Golden Gate Bridge. (laughs) So instead of just standing there, why don't you do something useful like changing the oil in my car? (laughs) Four, the following places are not appropriate for a date with my daughter. Places where there are sofas or anything softer than a wooden stool. Places where there are no parents, policemen, or nuns within eyesight. Places where there is darkness. Places where there is dancing, holding hands, or happiness. (laughs) Places where the temperature is warm enough to induce my daughter to wear anything other than overalls, a sweater, and a goose down parka. (laughs) Movies with a strong romantic theme are to be avoided. Movies which feature chainsaws are fine. (laughs) Hockey games are fine. Which is ironic because my daughter's boyfriend in California was already a Blackhawks fan. So, I, I mean, this may be a done deal, right? I think, <laughs> I think we're good. Rule five, I have no doubt that you are a popular fellow with many opportunities to date other girls, and that's fine with me as long as it's okay with my daughter. Otherwise, once you've gone out with my little girl, you will continue to date her and no one else but her until she's finished with you. <laughs> if you make her cry, I will make you cry. The end. Yep. There you go. I can give you a copy of that if you'd like. Why would I feel that way? Because I was a teenage boy. Hello, you know? And I know people. And as a father, I started to understand a little bit better what God the Father meant as a concept. And I want to explain that to you. For example, a lot of times people will read the Old Testament and they will say, why are all those rules in there? And I want to say, the reason all those rules in there are in there is because God is your father. I had rules for my kids. I mean, take the Ten Commandments, for example. 
The first four rules are about our relationship with God. And I know that might be a little confusing, but think about this. When my kids were little, I did not let them follow after other dads. I didn't have a rule, and I didn't say, thou shalt have no other dads before me. But the bottom line was, that was the same thing. I did not want them following other dads. I wanted them to follow what I said because I was their dad. I have responsibility for them. Those are rules for society to, to live by. And then the next six commands are all about the, the, you know, what we do as a society. Dostoevsky said, where there is no God, all is permitted. And when all is permitted, children get hurt. Turn on the TV. That's what happens. So murder, adultery, stealing, lying, coveting, all those things. Have you been on the other side when those are broken? Have you had somebody in your life you know, that was murdered? Have, have you had something stolen from you? Have you been on the other side? This is how to not wreck your life. It's what we just talked about. Someone once pointed out that there are 35 million laws in, in the United States, and they're all based on the Ten Commandments. A world without rules would be mayhem. It would be crazy. Have you ever played a game where you didn't know the rules and the other person did? And you're playing this game, and you know, along the way, they're like, oh, yeah, you do something, you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, you can't do that. Have you done that? That's a lot of fun, isn't it? You know, I mean, they, you, nobody wants to live that way. So God put some guidelines in the Bible. Here, here's what the wisest man in the universe at the time said, Solomon, my child, do not forget my teaching and keep my commands in your heart. Why? Because I'm a mean God, I'm a mean, I'm a mean person, I want you to follow my rules. No, because it will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. It will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. You will live long and prosper. Yes. Let me see, Vulcans, okay? That's what I'm talking about. That's where Spock got it, was out of Proverbs. Do you understand that? God wants us to follow him because he, he knows the best thing for us. He is our father. He is our dad. And I know we don't always get it. I, I get that. I know that, and that's the trick. I've been looking at some of the Old Testament commands, and I was thinking about some things. What's interesting about some of these Old Testament commands is that people didn't have the medical knowledge that we have now. They didn't have the scientific knowledge that we have now. So, for example, in Leviticus, God says, if you have a pot, you know, a ceramic pot, if you have a pot that has a crack in it, it, it should be thrown away. I mean, the, the, the law basically says, you know, thou shalt throw away the cracked pot. And you, and you would be, you, you would, you, if, you had, if you were living back in that day, you would say, what, why in the world would I have to do that? Oh, honey, we got to go to Bed Bath & Beyond. The pot's got a crack. Well, why, why do we have to throw it away? Because God said so. Now, why is that important? Well, in 1845, we discovered germs. And germs would be bred in the crack in a pot if it's smooth. I mean, they had no dishwashers, right? No hot water, no, you know, very, no soap. They didn't, have, they didn't have a way to wash their stuff very good. So germs would be bred in there. They didn't know about germs. All they could do at that moment was obey God. So one of the things that fascinates me about the Bible is that a lot of those Old Testament principles were about health and hygiene things that they didn't understand. Now, if you lived in ancient Egypt... And you had an infection? Do you want to know what the uh, ointment mixture should be according to ancient Egyptian theology? Have you eaten? You were supposed to put um, the blood of a worm mixed with donkey dung on your infected finger. 
so that you wouldn't have to worry about infection anymore because you would be dead from E. coli. <laughs> Put a little scubalon cream on there, you're going to be just good, right? That's all great. And if you will indulge me, let's stick with caca for a minute because I want to explain one more thing, and this is also important. All right? In Deuteronomy, God tells us what to do with human waste. And most people would just think, you know, just, I don't want to smell it, I, you know, just do somewhere out there. But God specifically says, I want you to bury the scubalon. And I'm going to do this in King James so that it's kind of a little easier for your palate, you know, at this time of the day, okay? Thou, sh- <laughs> thou shalt have a place also without the camp, whither thou shalt go forth abroad. It's the outhouse. And thou shalt have a paddle, that was a shovel, and it shall be... When thou wilt ease thyself (laughs) abroad, thou shalt dig therewith and shalt turn back and cover that which cometh from thee. (laughs) Isn't that a lot easier to kind of kind of take, right? Okay, you get, but you get the idea, and you're like, okay, well, yeah, God wants you to to bury it. Why is that important? Do you realize that the Black Plague in the Middle Ages in Europe almost wiped out Europe? And it was born in a disease that had to do with the fact that they weren't burying the waste. And the rats had fleas and the, and the virus got on the fleas on the rats and they would, rats would run in the house and people would get the black plague. If, if they would have followed God's commands, they didn't know that. They didn't know what it was all about. They didn't know where it came from. If they would have followed God's commands, they would have been okay. And, and i got to say that to you over and over again because sometimes you're reading through here and you're like, oh, come on. Really? God, why, why, would you, why would you want that to happen? Why would you command that? And sometimes my children didn't understand me, but if they trusted me as their father, then they were okay. I, I wasn't perfect, but that's what we, our father is perfect. There was a time when our uh, oldest daughter was two and a half. There was the only kid we had at the point, and Rachel was two and a half. She tripped and fell into the corner of a wall and split her head open good. And this was like our first experience with, you know, major blood and, uh, you know, the, the emergency room and all that stuff. And so, you know, Denise was a great mom, but there was like a line there where it was time for dad to take over. Maybe it's like that in your family. And, uh, and so we're in the emergency room. Denise is in the corner just trying to stay vertical and not pass out. You know, she's just over there. Rachel is screaming and crying, bleeding from her head. And we take her in and the doctor says, look, she's, I got to give her a shot in the wound to deaden it so that I can sew it up. It's not a big deal. She's not going to die. Everything's going to be fine, but I got to do this. So he put her in a straight jacket, literally a straight jacket, and tied her down to the table. She's two and a half. Tied her down to the table, and she's still squirming around so much. He said, you, dad, have got to lay on her and hold her down and tell her it's going to be okay. So I did. I mean, that's, that's, what a, that's what a dad does, right? I laid on her face to face. I wanted her to know that I was here. And I kept saying, Rachel, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And I'll never, ever forget the look on her face because she didn't think it was okay. <laughs> she thought I was the worst human being who'd ever lived. She's yelling and she's screaming. And of course, if she would have been older, I could have just reasoned with her. I could have just said, listen, Rachel, the doctor's going to sew up your head so you don't have to wear bangs for the rest of your life, all right? 
and he needs to put a needle in there, and I know that's going to hurt, but it's going to hurt a lot less than if he doesn't put the needle in there and deaden it. So just lay there, and, and, be, and I'll hold your hand. But I couldn't explain it to her because she couldn't comprehend it. And sometimes you've got to understand that there's stuff going on in the world. There's stuff going on maybe even in your life that you don't understand. If you will trust that God knows what's going on, if you will trust that God is your Father who loves you, then you will be okay because that's who he is. It may not be easy for you, but it will be okay because God is, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. That's the important part. God always wants the best for you. Please understand that. One day I I was watching the kids you don't call it babysitting when you're a dad because your wife gets mad if you say that because they're your kids. I was watching the kids. Denise was gone. And, and uh, does that happen to you? You're, like, you're not babysitting. They're your kids. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm, whatever I'm doing. I'm watching the kids. And, um, and, and Becca is like eight. My youngest, she was eight, probably nine maybe. And she was feeling queasy. So, you know, been there, done that, got it on my t-shirt. So I'm like, I'm going to go get something in case she needs to throw up. And I went into the powder room, you know, the kind of the guest bathroom on the lower level, and I got the nice trash can and I brought it to her. And she took one look at it. She said, Dad, that's the, that's the nice trash can. Are you sure I can throw up in it? <laughs> I guess her mom just gives her the, like, nasty trash can. Maybe there's a throw-up trash can I don't know about. <laughs> but I don't care. I just want, you know, I want something. I, be, uh, I want nothing but the best for my daughter, right? <laughs> That's the kind of dad that I am. No, nothing but the best for you, honey. That's just really a drop in the bucket, no pun intended, when it comes to my love for them, honestly. I wrote about this Father God thing in my doctoral dissertation in 2002 is when I did that. And it was, I, I did some, you know, some work on who God was. And I talked about God being our Father. And in 2002, 13 years ago, I said, I spoil my kids in so many ways, I pity the fool that marries one of them. Mission accomplished, <laughs> right? Two out of three. I'm, I'm almost done. Now I can spoil their kids, and uh, man, is that fun. I was in Nashville Thursday night and Friday just for a, a little on my way back just to see my four-month-old grandson, Charlie. I got to tell you, it's inexplicable how much I can love a little lump of flesh that does nothing but right, lay there and giggle at me every once in a while, and I guarantee you, I'm going to give him absolutely anything he ever wants. <laughs> Okay, you got it on. You got it on videotape, Charlie. Whatever you want, man. I, I'm gonna give it to you. And if you have to be in the hospital, uh, your dad's laying on you, and I'm gonna be on the corner going, "I know he's so mean. He's so mean." <laughs> That's how it's gonna go. Because I have that kind of love, and I gotta tell you, it is so fun to watch Ash with being a dad. I mean, he's just he's just unbelievably in love and they're both unbelievably in love. Now it's time for them to do it. That's how God feels about you. Any any good throw up trash can I think experience I've got in my life. Any good thing I've ever done for my kids, God is a billion times better with you. Jesus said, "If you then, though you are evil, I mean, literally, I am, I have, I have sin in my life. I know how to give good gifts to my children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more? He is that much better at being a dad than I could possibly ever be. Will you let that be a thought in your brain? Will you let that be the thing that you process as you start thinking about who God is? I know God is powerful 
and almighty, and he runs the universe. That's why I've always loved this picture of John F. Kennedy in the Oval Office with John John under the desk. Some of you have been around long enough. You remember that picture? It was, I think, in Life magazine. Really, really famous picture of the guy who's running the universe, you know, probably dealing with Bay of Pigs or some, you know, some Cuban Missile Crisis or something going on in the world. And there's John John underneath his desk playing, you know. That's how you should feel about how the universe is going, honestly. Let him take care of it. Can you imagine that God loves you enough that he would let you play at his feet? Can you imagine that God loves you enough that, that, that you, you're just a, a baby laying there and he wants to tickle you? This is me doing it with Charlie. I want to play this because I, uh, I want to show you a scripture that should let this image be your image of God. <laughs> Is that how you feel about God? Is it, do you feel like God could love you that much that he would give a raspberry on your tummy? Well, just listen to this, okay? This is the prophet Zephaniah in the Old Testament. In the description about God. It's one of my favorites. The Lord your God is with you. Okay, we got that. He is mighty to save. He's president of the universe. That's really great. Now listen to this. He will take great delight in you. That's what I was doing. That's what I do. Half my social media posts are of Charlie, right? That's what I do. I take great delight. This is, this is a way of, of Zephaniah saying what God does is he's, he opens up his wallet and shows your picture. Look at my kid. He takes great delight in you. Isn't that beautiful? Hey, let me show you my kid. I'm so proud of my kid. You know, God, God Almighty, he's disappointed with me sometimes. I was disappointed with my kids sometimes. There was a Dixie Chicks phase, for example, but um, uh, most of the time, I loved them, and there were times when we connected. It didn't matter how many times they disappointed me. There were times that we connected, you know, out on the trampoline or, or wrestling on the bed at night, or they'd come home from a, a mission trip and tell me a story, or they'd come home from, from school and tell me about their day. There were times when we would connect, man, it just made everything else go away. I delighted, I still delight in them. I delight even more now that, that they're having their own kids. It's beautiful. That's how God feels about you. He, he delights in you. He will quiet you with his love. That's exactly what it should sound like. When you're having a bad day, he will pick you up and he will hold you. There were times when Mommy was the one that was needed, but there were times when Daddy was the one who was needed. And even as they grew older, there were heartbreaks. There were times when they just needed Daddy's shoulder. And I would quiet them with my love. Have you had bad dreams lately? Maybe falling out of bed? Do you know that that's how God feels about you? He wants you to come to him because he will quiet you with his love. The word that Jesus used for Father, this is what's really important. It, does, it shouldn't say our Father who is in heaven? It should say our daddy. The word that Jesus used was Abba. It's a Middle Eastern word. Every Aramaic kid in the Middle East, if you go over there today, you see a little kid playing and they see their daddy, they're going to say Abba instead of Dada. That's the first thing, first thing they learn. And Jesus said, you should pray our Abba. I know you're thinking of Dancing Queen. Get that out of your head. Our, <coughs> our Abba who art in heaven. 
or dada, who art in heaven. That's the term. He will quiet you with his love. He takes delight in you. He will, he will hold you. He will, take, he will quiet you with his love. And then he will rejoice over you with singing. Every night we would, whoever was putting the girls to bed, we would sing with them. We'd sing, Jesus loves me. And then, you know, we started branching out. We'd do away in a manger every Christmas. I mean, it was just those things. We would sing over them. And, and this, the verb in that verse means, put that back up for me. The verb in that verse means, we will rejoice over you with singing. That The verb in there is literally means to spin around with intense motion. It literally means to dance. It literally means that God wants to delight in you. He wants to quiet you with his love. And he wants you to run to him so that he can pick you up and spin you around. He wants to dance with you. That is the image. If you think about it, some of your best times as a family, probably some of your best videos as a family are probably times when there's music going and everybody's, the place is jumping and everybody's having fun. And we do that with Charlie and his little Johnny jump up thing that's, you know, he just, we put on the music and he just starts going. And, and those, are the, those are the best times that you've got in your family. And dads of daughters, there will come a day when one of the best moments in your life will happen, it will also coincidentally be the most expensive moment of your life <laughs> when you get to do the daddy-daughter dance at the wedding. And I want that, I, I, this is a really personal sermon, you're getting lots of Harlow today, but I want this to be a, an image, I want you to have the image of Grandpa God tickling you, and I want you to have the image of your Father God dancing with you in your finest moment. We had uh, Tommy, this is my middle daughter, Lauren, and, and the daddy-daughter dance, and Tommy, her husband, and his mom did it at the same time, which was kind of cool. I refused to let them use Butterfly Kisses or one of those country songs about giving your daughter up, um, so it's a little more fun, but let this image be yours of God. Galatians says, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to being children of God. The beautiful thing about this father story of God is that um, he chose us. We, we have a huge value on adoption here at this church. Uh, you're going to get to see one today, a uh, bunch of stories about adoption and baptism of one of the adopted kids actually in the service. It's so important to us because he goes on, he says, you are no longer a slave, but you are God's child. And since you are a child, God has made you an heir. I just love the whole, the whole story of adoption because it's so much the story of us. 
I've told this story before, but we have a, a, a guy who played Major League Baseball for 12 years who um, they adopted from China. And uh, I told this story at Christmas Eve one year about thinking about what, and she had some health issues. I'm thinking about Grace, and I'm thinking about, you know, what her life would have been like in an orphanage in China. And now she's been adopted into this family that's got all the love in the world, all the resources, connections in the world. It's like, it's like this is the life she could have had, and now this is the life that she is having. And that's the same illustration that we have in our life. This is the life that I deserve. This is the life that I should have had. But I was adopted into God's family. And John says, see how very much the Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. It's an amazing story. J.I. Packer said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well. Everything about Christianity is summed up in the first part of the Lord's Prayer. Our Daddy, who is in heaven. And you can have it too. To all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. I invite you to accept that gift today. I invite you to look at God, the ruler of the universe, as daddy today. And if that's a new thought for you, this will be a really, really great day. I have some very close friends who are in the process of trying to adopt right now, and they actually have the baby, and they're, they're waiting for the mom to sign the papers. And you can't imagine maybe you can, the angst that, that, that is going on for them right now because, and I, and I would appreciate it if you would just pray that this would happen. The, it's, it's, a, it's a baby whose life is going to be here because of the drug problem of mom or it can be here with this loving couple. And um, I was just thinking about what they're processing right now and the, the hard part of wanting this baby so much. And knowing that they will be the best thing for it. And then I thought, that's how God feels about you if you're not home. That's how the father of the prodigal felt when he was in a faraway country. That's why every night he would go to the fence and he would stand and he would look and he would wait. And he would hope that the son was going to come home. God wants you and his family and he paid the ultimate price so that you could be in his family and not just be a child, but be an heir. Let him adopt you today. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. Lord, if there are people in this room who've been far away from home, or not felt like they were welcome in your house for whatever reason, will you help them know that every person in the Bible except for your son was a sinner and every one of them had all kinds of issues and there's no reason why the prodigal son should have been welcomed home into the family like he was. The only reason is that there's a God in heaven who is our Father 
who loved us so much that he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And not just have eternal life, but be his child and his heir forever. Love is the only reason. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.